Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Stay Strong in America podcast. I am your host, Tyron Brown, here for another episode of our Wall Street Wednesdays. And ladies and gentlemen, I need you to do me a favor. If you happen to be in a coffee shop, a friend's place, or your own home, feel free to take out a notepad so you can jot down some notes. And if you happen to be driving, I want you to keep your eyes on the road. But also, I want you to have your ears wide open because today's episode is definitely going to be one for the books. So stay tuned. All right, so let's cut to the chase, folks. Our episode today for our Wall Street Wednesdays is called What a Dollar Costs. Now, my inspiration for this episode came from my obsession to study personal finance, particularly investing. After having a conversation, uh, it was about 10 years ago with a few close friends from college who stressed the importance of investing to have a secure financial future. Now, guys, I want you to imagine being in college and studying English, of all things, in an English-speaking country. Meanwhile, you have friends studying finance and accounting and talking about money every day around you, all right, including my roommate. Then imagine working at a bank years later and becoming aware that millionaires are more common than we think. And yes, I have read The Millionaire Next Door. And yes, I saw several videos on YouTube about how to invest. But the one thing I lacked for many years was the discipline to focus my mind and energy to learning the foundational materials excuse me, to this eighth wonder of the world, known as compound interest, which stems from investing. It was not only until I got fed up and said to myself, you know what? If I want to invest, I have to start somewhere. And then when I had my first 401k that I was committed to, which was shout out to my former employer, I felt it was part of the due diligence to understand what I was doing with my money, you know, because you're investing money, you want to know where it's going. And so we have it here today, an episode where I will stress the importance of gaining knowledge on how to invest. This, however, is not to be mistaken for an episode on how to invest as I have not reached a stage in in my learning where I feel comfortable to provide a foundational course, all right? Nonetheless, the message from today's episode is imperative for anyone looking to build a financial legacy that will outlive them. So guys, I want you to stay tuned and be focused and definitely take a lot of notes, all right? All right, so many of you may be wondering, Tyron, what exactly is investing? And I I found two definitions um, during my research that I found provide an excellent explanation of that. And the first one being a more specific definition that you're probably more familiar with, and that is to expend money with the expectation of achieving profit or material result by putting it into financial plans, shares, or property, or by using it to develop a commercial venture. Now, that is a lot of what I will be discussing today because we have to be honest about what investing actually is and um, how we can be involved in, in that. So when you hear someone saying, hey, I'm buying a multifamily property, then that's investing no different than it is when someone says, hey, I'm buying a commercial um, building or I'm buying a REIT, a real estate investments trust, which we'll talk about later, to invest in this commercial property. Or someone saying, hey, I bought a few shares of Apple stock through um, Robinhood or through Vanguard. Um, That's investing through shares or through financial plans. You may have a financial planner or you might have a 401k at your job. So think of those things in terms of investing. That is um, what I will be referring to a lot throughout today's episode. But also on a more general level, we have another definition which I found to be important. And I will touch on this a little bit as well. And that is investment is the dedication of an asset to attain an increase in value over a period of time. 
Investment requires a sacrifice of some present asset, such as time, money, or effort. In finance, they say the purpose of investing is to generate a return from an invested asset. But I would say that's an investment in general. We always want a return on something that we do. We're not just doing it in vain. We have a purpose behind it. So I like that definition because it speaks to someone investing in like themselves, for example. You may invest in your, let's say, mental health and your rest so that your mental health can be better. And you invest in your mental health so you can perform better at your job. You also may invest in your education. You may take the asset of loans, right, which can which is actually can work as a liability, but can become an asset if that yields you a job that allows you to pay off those student loans as well as receiving a, a job that allows you to save a substantial amount of money and invest it for your own purpose. So it yields you disposable income. So I, I want you to think about that um, because that definition of investment is something you should carry with you throughout your entire life. In order to not waste your time, remember that you are sacrificing something in the now for something later. And even if you feel like you're not doing anything, it's still a sacrifice in itself. Why? Because time is passing you by. And if you don't want anything else to change your life, go ahead. That's fine with you. But a lot of times we want to make sure that our time and effort is going to yield us something later on. So myself, I, I'll give you a quick example. I invested in my education, right? I got a four-year degree. It was just an English degree, but it was from a top state school, Binghamton University. And that yielded me my first corporate job out of college. And when things didn't work out and I went back to grad school and I finished with my master's degree, I got into working in banking. And working in banking yielded me to another banking job, which I'm in right now. I'm in the consulting services. And I know that path that I'm on now is going to set me up for a path of you know, uh, financial wealth throughout throughout my lifetime if I choose to stay in corporate America. You know, some people say, hey, I don't want to go to college and they invest in a trade. You know, um, certain people are like, okay, they may take their money and they may put it into a trucking business, you know, Um, or they may invest in their their, um, health, their well-being. They might want to be a professional athlete in the future. So I know certain individuals, you know, they became professional baseball players or they, um, became track and field stars and some have become uh one actually I went to school with as a child is now a NFL player that plays for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers but he invested in going to a school that was going to support him and his physicality that he worked on throughout high school and before then to be that football player and then now it's paying off he signed a multi-million dollar contract um perhaps a year or two ago so I want you to think about investing in terms of that But also, I want you to think about the financial aspect of it as well, because you need to be aware of this. I think I figure that it's very unfair for others to not be aware of investing or at least the power behind it, because that's how you set yourself up for a lifetime. I know a lot of you hear the concept of fire financially independent, retire early. Well, I find that even if you don't want to retire early in order to be financially independent, when you hit retirement in general, that's something that's going to be required. And as I said in a previous episode, when it comes to retirement, Social Security may not be enough for you to live the lifestyle that you prefer to live. So learning about investing is going to be important because investing in the 401k now or Roth IRA, whatever the case may be, or IRA in general or any form of investment is going to allow you to be able to retire to even begin with outside of Social Security or whatever savings you have, you know, Um and, and so that's why I want you to know what is investing. So if you have any questions about that, feel free to rewind this and listen to this again and do your own research as well, too. But these definitions are definitely something I want you to keep in mind throughout today's program.
So now why am I bringing up the topic of investing? Why am I suggesting that in the first place? It's very important that you invest, right? And it's imperative. And I feel like a lot of people may disregard that because they're not aware of this power that comes behind investing that, that is known as compound interest. Guys, there's a few things I want you to keep in mind, but I'm just going to read something to you so you can understand what I'm referring to in terms of its power. They say that if you were to buy, and everyone's aware of Apple for the most part, right? We have Apple products. I'm recording right now on my iPhone 11, all right? And I am actually have some notes written down on my Apple computer. I both find these to be very worthwhile investments. I could take great pictures. I could take great notes on my phone and have phone calls, FaceTime, all sorts of things. And have the latest new technology on here, as well as my, um, my laptop, which doesn't have any viruses on it as opposed to other laptops i've had which catch a virus very easily you know so the money i put in here is well worth the investment and it's an international company and one thing you'll learn about investing which i'll touch on later is about companies that you choose to invest in the ones that are going to grow over time you're going to look at their profit and loss statements and things of that nature and their finances but back to my point why should you invest well apple first uh sold shares to the public on december 12 1980 at $22 per share and the stock had split four times, three times at two for one and one split at seven for one. That means you could have received two shares for every one share or seven shares in that one case. All right. So after all those stock splits and everything, you would own 56 shares of stocks today. When they say today, I believe they're referring to when this article was written, which I believe is 2018. Right. Um, and that's you buying a share. Right. And that will be worth 14000 the 56 shares would be worth $14,896 at the current price, which is based on this article of $266 per share, which is probably a lot more for Apple now. A $100 investment would have purchased 4.54 shares at the IPO price, right? The initial public offering price. And after the stock splits, you would now be the lucky owner of 254 shares of Apple, which would currently have a value of $67,564, right? Now, that's 1980 to, uh, let's say, 2016, right? So we're talking about 36 years. But $100 will yield you that much? Can you imagine that? $100. So think about that for, this, for a second, the multiples of it, the amount of money you invest in that. And they gave a comparison, right? So by comparison, one of the first Apple computers ever made was recently auctioned off by Chrissy's for $477,000. You know, the Apple One originally retailed for only $666 in 1976, and only 200 were made. All right? Um, guys, this means that if you had invested $10,000 in Apple in 1980, you would have about $6.7 6, million. All right? You know, um, Apple has compounded at 18% per year since its IPO price. So, guys, that's what I'm talking about, the power of compound interest. And you think, oh, that's so many years, but what's happening? Your job is not going to usually give you a bonus of that amount. Think about it. So your money will be better off invested. And that's the first point I want to make is that because your money can outlast you, it gives you legacy, guys. You earn interest as you save or you choose to save through the form of investing, guys. And not to say that every investment is necessarily going to yield you a profit. Investments do go down. But over time, if you're not participating in that game, how could you ever possibly win anything? How could you yield any profit? There are times where cash does um, 
you're better off saving money as the stock market is down and things of that nature. But like there's also bonds you can invest in as, a, as opposed to investing in stocks, which is also known as equities. And I'm not going to touch on too much about how to invest per se. All right. And get into the specifics of it. But why it's important. Just think about the numbers. A dollar invested today is can be worth thousands or even millions in the future. You know, and and not just a dollar itself, but let's say a few hundred dollars could be worth thousands in the future. And the more you invest and you're being very diligent, the lot a lot more could yield you in the future. And like I said, the first thing is legacy, right? You can leave something for those who outlive you. Think about that. You're gonna have children. Do you want them to you want to leave them something behind? Don't just think life insurance, think investing as well, too. The next thing is diversify your savings. It's a protection against inflation. You guys think, I'm going to keep my money in my savings account. But guys, inflation occurs. And if you don't understand what inflation is, that means that you could have had getting paid $100,000 in 1985. And that might be worth $200,000 today. Right? Which means that, you know, the, the, you know like in terms of inflation that it, you have to earn a lot much more in the future to make up what you had today. So you may be making $100,000 a, a year today, for example, or you might be making $50,000 a year today. But in order to have that same $50,000 equivalent with inflation raising like 3 to 4% per year on the low end, right now it's at the high end of 7%, but at the standard uh, um, right over the past, you know, the historical trends of 3 to 4%, that $50,000 in the future, you may have to have $100,000 to make that 50, to have that $50,000. So your money is losing value over time. People understand about the dollar. It's ever decreasing. Malcolm X even said it. And that's why you have to make sure you invest those funds so it grows over time. And how does it grow? You put it into things that grow, right? Which we'll touch on later about what things to do in terms of investments, whether it's putting into companies, you know, um, investing in properties and things of that nature. All right. But it's, it's, you want to diversify your savings. Yes, you want to have your savings for quick access to your cash. But you also want to have savings that grows and outpaces inflation or at least keeps up with it at bare minimum. So your money is worth what it is today and doesn't lose value in the future. Or else you'll be that person who's in retirement like, I remember things used to be so much affordable because you don't understand how inflation works. All right. Next thing. Why invest? You teach your family these values so they can secure their financial future. So not just the legacy of leaving them the money behind, but if they see you do these things. They're going to understand the importance of it, especially if you teach it to them. You, shoot, you teach by showing. And when they see that, they'll follow those habits and they'll care, instill those values in their family. And so if it was ever a superpower that you could have, you can, and, and God gives you the ability to come back gen, six generations later, you see that your great, 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 great grandchildren know about investing and that there's some assets there for them that are being passed down through each passing member of, within the family line. But a lot of times what you'll see and there's articles, excuse me, there's articles about how families, how long families keep money um, from generation to generation. Usually wealth may last like one or two generations because the next generation doesn't know how to manage money. So you have to teach the skill as well, too. And investment is one of the most important skills you can teach someone, especially if you're leaving them um, any funds behind. You know, if you leave them something through a will, you have to teach someone to do with those funds if they haven't learned what it is to work. All right. So invest so that others, others who you care about and love can do the same too. And then another reason that I want to put out why you should invest is there's incentives, right? 
you can receive tax benefits. If you earn any interest on your investments and hold more than hold it more than a year, then you are subject to the capital gains tax rate, which is typically 15%. And it goes up to, I believe, 25% max, right? Um, as opposed to your standard federal income tax rate, which for most working people is more than that capital gains tax rate. You know, you might be at, you may be paying 25% tax on that, right? If you sell it for in less than a year. So if you're day trading in terms of investing, they're going to charge you that. But more so if you just, you know, think you could just work and don't invest and then you feel like your income is enough. It's like, no, your income is being taxed at a higher rate, most likely. As opposed to you invest. Yeah, you might not have that cash on you spending it all the time, but it's growing. It's like me knowing that I have a million dollars sitting somewhere, but I'm not touching it yet. Edit. I know that if I hold it more than a year and I choose to withdraw the funds that I made on it, the, the interest I made on it. Because if you, if you didn't make any interest on it, there's nothing to tax you on. You lost money. But once you gain interest, income on the money that you invest, and it becomes significant over time, and you hold it more than a year, you can cash some of it out knowing that you have a lower tax rate. And you can consult a, um, an accountant regarding this or attorney or whomever or financial advisor, but it's just, you know, standard regulation and you can look it up online. So you're incentivized to invest. When you invest, you essentially stimulate the economy by putting money into corporations, properties, things of that nature. And the government is incentivizing you to do so. So keep that in mind. All right. So these are the reasons why you should invest. Legacy. Diversifying savings and protection against inflation, teaching your family values about the importance of investing and incentives, including tax benefits. Now, a lot of you may be wondering who exactly invests. All right. And the obvious first one that or may not be so obvious for some of you are wealthy people. All right. Um, actually, I'm reading this book called The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham who was Warren's but um Warren Buffett's mentor and if you don't know who Warren Buffett is he is one of the most well-renowned investors ever in, in the history of the United States or in the world in general rather um he's worth about 80 80 billion plus dollars right now and he was patient in investing and the bulk of the money that he made occurred after um within his 40s and actually his late 50s but um they stress the importance of value investing, all right, and, and throughout this book. Um, and, and they made a val- very valid point in one of the chapters um, that um, Benjamin Graham, he states about how, you know, concentrating your wealth initially may help you become wealthy, right? So you may focus on investing in one or two companies or you may um, invest in building your own business or your career. But in order to stay wealthy, you end up having to invest in other ventures as well, too. Because you can invest in something, but that thing could it could dwindle over time. For example, you can invest in international business machines, otherwise known as IBM. But their stock plummeted in, in, in the turn of the century, guys. Um, so you, in order to maintain wealth, wealthy people are forced to invest. You know, it's, it's you're hedging against risk. That's what investing does. It's like, hey, if this doesn't work, at least I'm investing in this, you know. If if gasoline is gonna is not a thing of the future, now I'm gonna invest in electromagnetic electro um rank, electric cars, right? But the wealthy people they invest, you know, and because obviously they have disposable cash, where, you know, the more money you have, the more you see the impacts of things like inflation. You start to see that that ten million dollars you have saved up in in in, uh, um, in Bank of America or wherever, 
is going to be worth like nine nine and a half million dollars due to inflation. You're going to feel the effects of it. So the more money you have, the more you're impacted by um, your investments in inflation and other factors in the market. So the wealthy people, they include the royal families, you know, so the royal family of England, you know, even the Rothschilds. Royal, uh, royal families, you know, of, of those in Saudi Arabia, things of that nature, um, and other parts of the world, they're going to invest. Hedge fund and finance business owners, obviously this is, you know, they're going to invest money too because they're well off too. They're worth billions of dollars as well. You know, Fortune 500 founders and CEOs, founders and CEOs of LinkedIn, um, Facebook with Mark Zuckerberg, these people invest. Bill Gates, he's in, he invests. He keeps a private real estate portfolio. He's not just all invested in Microsoft. And as a matter of fact, most of the stocks may not even be in Microsoft these days. You know, then there's athletes and celebrities like wealthy people. Think about that. These athletes, LeBron James, worth millions of dollars. He invests as well, too. No one he seeks out uh, mentors like Warren Buffett, who actually spoke of being impressed by LeBron's investment. LeBron invests in soccer teams. <laughs> so in other athletes, which is right up his alley, you know, so. These are people who definitely invest. They have the disposable cash, which we'll touch on a little bit later. And, you know, they have the funds available to do so. And like I said, they, they're impacted with any shift in the market because they have a lot of money and they feel it more than us who may only have a few thousand dollars safe, if that, in our bank account. But the next in the type of individual, individuals who invest are everyday common people. Guys, I worked at a bank and we have a wealth um, in, in a previous bank and they had we had a wealth management part of our institution where people that had disposable, you know, savings, they invested. And some invested like, oh, I already invested with you guys. I'm like, I don't see any in your bank account. They probably had like 50,000, 60,000. I'm trying to get them to invest with um, uh, one of our um, local securities individuals. And they're like, no, I'm, I'm, I already have invested with you guys um, with the other um, part of your bank. And they had like $5 million invested. Guys, so everyday common people, they might be a plumber, they might be somebody working in construction. Don't think because you don't see money in their bank account, assuming you work at a bank, or even if you don't, don't think that, you know, because they're not flashy, they don't have money put up. They do. And it's just a sense of power you feel when you know you have a, a home that's paid for in, let's say, a million dollars invested. And you keep $100,000 in your bank account at all times. You have disposable cash already. You know, I mean, there was this one individual where I told her to invest because she had two, she had like four hundred thousand dollars sitting there. She says, we'll take about two hundred. She invested one fifty, you know, and, and that made sense because the money that was just sitting in her account, it just was being eaten up by inflation or a low interest rate. Rather, our interest rate for that savings account was very low. So I said, OK, I want you to invest it. But we have that service we provide to you and her and her husband both agreed. You know, so that's just an example of that, that everyday common people invest, including myself. And, I th and you could become one of those people. It doesn't take much to invest, all right? It doesn't take that much money, but it does take a lot of patience and diligence and willing to do the work and willing to put the money towards it, which is hard for everyday common people, you know, who may be caught up in like not having disposable income because they have bills and other obligations and things of that nature. So just don't get so wrapped up in that to the point that you miss out on this opportunity for investing. The, who else invests? Your employer through your through your, your your retirement plan, all right. So your employee invests as well too. They have to keep up with it. You may work at a bank and they may keep their funds somewhere else where they invest the money, because they want to grow as well too. They want to ensure that they could be able to match the funds they put into your retirement plan, and, and and there's a keep up 
you have to keep up with other um, businesses who offer these incentives as well, too. So be aware that your employer invests, too. All right. They do that. Don't underestimate it. Who else invests your local government? Right. And pension managers. They have to they have to invest as well. Put your funds somewhere. They have to uh, partner with other financial institutions. Like I said, my previous employee was through T. Rowe Price, um, which is on the level of like a um, you know, Vanguard, things of that nature. Um, and your local government, they have pension managers. They have to manage pensions for all like like local state employees, things of that nature. They invest as well or they partner with other ins- financial institutions that invest. Next thing, your educational institutions. Your educational institutions, they have endowments. For example, Harvard has one too. And I believe they have like a $50 billion endowment. It's like a ridiculous number. But some are just in the millions, right? And I know I may make it seem small, but universities are expensive. A lot of colleges do close down. But if you have an endowment, you have to manage that endowment. So you have to make sure that it's invested somewhere where it could grow over time. And what happens is that you may only be able to tap into that endowment a small portion, you have to keep a principal amount. So you can't be like, okay, we have this problem at our institution with people enrolling, but not able to afford school. Let's create these scholarships and let's take out $50 million out of our $1 billion endowment. That may not be, you may not be able to tap into that because they may only allow you to take out a certain percentage per year. So the more that, the only way you could probably take out that amount of money is if you haven't invested. So it's growing so that the principal that you're taking from, it's still being replenished by the investments that you have it in. So your educational institutions, I promise you, they invest the funds of the endowment and other um, things on their balance sheet as well. So keep that in mind. And also nonprofit organizations too, they invest. You know, I work for a nonprofit organization that invests as well too. So they have to, whenever they receive grants and things of that nature, they also too want to make sure that they give themselves an opportunity to have their money make money for them. Because they can leverage that and put it back into their budget or whatever their bylaws allow them to do so they could be able to put it back into the community initiatives that they have going on. So what I'm saying is that a lot more individuals or institutions invest than you may imagine, but just about everyone's involved in it, which gives you more reason to be involved with it as well. People do it at a necessity as well and to hedge against risks of inflation, of losing out on Income, like not receiving enough grants if you're a nonprofit organization or if you want to or if you have an expense like a home, you want to invest. So instead of like using all your savings, you're pulling from the investments that you have that stem from you saving that money and putting it into investments. It's a strategic move. So who invests? All these types of individuals. And so can you. So keep that in mind. Now, many of you of you may be wondering, where do these individuals invest, all right? Individuals or corporations or institutions, rather, where they invest. Now, that's a great question. And you'd be surprised at the places where they do invest that, all right? The first being, they invest in established companies that are listed on the stock market, stock market or that are private but very successful, all right? And I would say this thing, if you're a private company that's very successful, you're not really necessarily allowed to invest in that unless you work for that or company or you know somebody um, that works for that um, organization that allows you to do so. And they may require you to have a certain amount of capital, like a significant amount of capital. But you can, a lot of people invest in the New York Stock Exchange, for example, all right? One of the most largest stock exchanges in the world. Um, there's obviously other stock exchanges as well, London, things of that nature. But 
um, for the United States is the New York Stock Exchange. And they invest in established companies that have IP though. So they had to go through an issue public offering and now they're listed, um, their stock is available for purchase. For example, Macy's is on there. They also have um, a previous bank. I work for M&T Bank. Um, they have Chase on there. They have ExxonMobil, Apple. So think of that, you know, established companies are on there and you can look up their, um, um, how the company is doing in terms of like, you know, the, the, the going through their uh, 10Ks, what they call it, um, to see how their finances are, what they have going on, their profit and loss, um, any investing activities they have going on and disposable cash and be able to assess that information. And asking you to the specifics of how to assess a company to invest in, which I'm not going to go through in today's episode, but um, probably for a future episode, we can definitely touch on that. But just being aware of that, you know, a lot of companies that you may purchase from Procter & Gamble, you know, if you buy Clorox and other, you know, Tide, for example, it's Procter & Gamble product. They listen on the New York Stock Exchange. You know, you go to Chase every day to deposit your money or your money's directly deposited there and you withdraw from there sometimes. They listen on the New York Stock Exchange. You know, there's many things that listen on the New York Stock Exchange that you use every day. You know, they should, you should choose to at least invest in those companies so that if you're going to be a customer of theirs and you know a lot of people who are a customer of theirs, why not be an investor? Because that's a company that's going to be growing, you know, or that's eventually going to grow over time. Tesla included. It grew, you know, a stock purchase um, in 2013 grew 10 times the amount, I believe. Or in 2010, rather, 10 times the amount. So 36 times the amount, excuse me. A significant, um, a significant increase. Right. So I want you to think about if you put money, one hundred dollars into a company and grew 36 times what it's worth, a hundred times 36 is three thousand six hundred dollars, for example. So if you miss it on investment, you miss it out on a party at times, you know, and I'd say that you're going to make money every single time you invest. But guys, if you leave it in the stock market and, it, and it's called a drip, you know, dividend reinvestment program, it reinvests itself. Every dividend that you get. So now it's only your money grown over time, but every profit you made is reinvested. Then, guys, you're going to see a healthy profit if you do your research right, you know. Um, and, and that's all why you want to pay attention to these companies, especially companies that you're a customer to of every day or that you work for or that you're familiar with. All right. Then there's the non-established companies that are not yet on the stock market, such as stock, um, stock startup companies. Um, where individuals who have a lot of disposable cash, they may do angel investing or venture capitalists where they're like, hey, we'll give you a 10 percent ownership on our company or 2 percent ownership on our company if you give us six hundred thousand dollars. Now, six hundred thousand dollars may end up going to zero because the company goes bankrupt and bellies up. But the whole point of angel investing or venture capitalism is so that you have a chance to grow with a company that might be a startup and then can grow over time. So that might be. The next Apple, you have no idea. They're growing. The next thing you know, that $600,000 turns to $6 million 10 years later. So you also can do things like help out, you know, minority communities by investing um, through as an angel investor or through venture capitalism. Because you might have somebody that's like a black business owner and they have a coffee shop and they feel like they could be better than Starbucks. And you are really impressed with their model, but they feel like. It may not necessarily be discrimination, but just they may not have the funds to be on the forefront to get the advertising that they need. Or maybe discrimination or you might believe in them and other ones may overlook them, but you give them a chance. You believe in them. You can you do that as a form of like uh, uh, social financial justice. 
you know, socioeconomic justice. You go in there, you give them the funding that they need, and you might not even take a percentage. You just want to give them opportunity to grow, and then they do. So, you know, it's almost like a human rights element to that as well, too. But I would say for the most part, people that do an angel invest in venture capitalism, they are expecting profit in the end. But you have to have a lot of disposable cash to do so. So you'll see more celebrities do these kinds of things if you're not working for such an organization. If you work for them, yeah, you'll, you know, enjoy the gains of that. But if you want to do the investing into it, it's usually those who have a lot of disposable cash, you know, typically in the hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands. Then there's also non-domestic companies. So guys, ask about what this episode is called, what dollar costs, right? So a lot of people are looking at what the dollar costs. A dollar cost can be for the positive or negative. A dollar may not cost you that much to invest, but it could cost you over time if you only invest in U.S. companies. Look at other companies outside the United States. Look at foreign investments, all right? And look at them, foreign equities is something you couldn't put your money into. So you might want to invest in a company that's based in a completely different country. You might want to invest in a growing economy like China, you know, um, or developing or emerging economy like India. So keep your mind open when it comes to certain things because there's a lot of developments that occur. Like I said in this book, The Intelligent Investor that I'm reading, they talk about how Japan at one point was outpacing the United States economy, you know, for about uh, 10 years. So, so never underestimate the power that comes from investing in, in companies outside of, of your own local, your own locality, um, or, or where you're domiciled at, like what well, the country that you're born in or live in. Another place where people invest in is real estate, guys. Now you should know these things, but understand if you don't. Then that's what you're here for. But people invest in commercial properties, right? You hear of that. They may invest in a mall. You know, those are a lot of cash. Or they might invest in the Hilton. They might invest in some other hotels um, and some other major developments that house a lot of major corporations. Because a lot of times corporations rent um, buildings that are owned by a, a, a commercial property owners and things of that nature. And it doesn't have to be solely you. You and other people can invest in that through the form of REITs which I'll touch on in just a second, but people invest in commercial properties. You might just invest in a multifamily or single family homes. Um, so you might be a real estate investor and say, hey, I want to buy up these homes and I want to rent them out. You buy up 10 single family homes on a block that happens in Atlanta. And that's what been, what's been happening with, there's a lot of back and forth about, you know, hedge funds and other people with a lot of cash buying up properties and renting them out, jacking up the prices. And that's a, the that's a whole issue in itself. But the fact of the matter is that that's available. You can choose to invest in that way. You might buy a multifamily property. You have your single family home, but it's being paid for through a multifamily property that you own. Or like one of my friends did, you might buy a multifamily property, live upstairs and the downstairs you rent it out, just as an example. So people invest in real estate is huge, huge. They invest in mixed use spaces as well, where it's a business on the bottom, but it's apartments on top. You see that a lot in metropolitan areas like New York City or even in Miami. Um, depending on the rules and regulations, but it's very common. Um, so real estate is huge. And if you, and one thing you come to understand is that there are a lot of celebrities, wealthy people, those individuals, a lot of cash, they invest in, in properties. Why? Why they invest in properties in real estate? They understand that the land is the salt of the earth. All right. Sometimes you can't always make any more land, especially in New York City. It's limited. You know, so if you have a way in, it could use you. Um, income because people have to find a place to live, you know, 
you could work, you can work from home, but you have to have a home to live in. And at this point, I don't think people are are even into buying tiny houses at this point yet or could afford one. And depending on the rules and regulations, it may not even be allowed where they live. So for now, real estate will, um, it's not a sure bet because you have to, location matters and other things matter as well. But it's something definitely a lot of individuals get involved in and so should you over time. Now, uh, another place where people invest in has to do with real estate is called a real estate investment trust, which comes with a lot of incentives tax wise, um, which we touch on another episode. But a real estate investment trust, otherwise known as a REITs for its acronym, that is a perfect way to be involved in real estate without having to deal with the headache that comes with real estate. Right. For example, like the collecting of the rent, things of that nature. You can invest in a commercial property through the form of a REIT or or um, you can invest in owning a bunch of multifamily homes if they have a REIT that does that. And certain um, companies, brokerage firms, which I'll we'll touch on in a second, like Vanguard, Fidelity, they have REITs available for you to uh, buy. Because, you know, and, and, they, and, they, and they give you a payout. And sometimes it's between 10 and 12%, more than certain equities, like within the stock market. So this is really, really great, guys. And I suggest that you look into investing in REITs and do your research on it. Because you have a chance to get involved in real estate without the headache of being a property manager. All right. So keep that in mind. Real estate and REITs is the way to go in terms of investing. And like I said, we'll touch on that in a future episode. And finally, where else do you invest? And this is what I was talking about, about another definition of investing is investing in yourself is your education. Guys, if you learn a skill to make more money, i.e. you go to college, a boot camp on coding, or you take an investment course and you get your CFA, for example, or Series 7, guys, that will enable you to make money in a fast, uh, in, a, in, a, in a pretty quick time. Because even though it may de- demand your time now, the payoff can be huge because it's a certification that you can use that can, that can where you can go into an organization, you can request and pay you $60,000, $75,000 minimum, or and as you grow over time, easily one hundred and fifty k especially in the Northeast, guys, this is a great skill set. And even if your education isn't in finance, it, it, although it could definitely be helpful for you to understand investing, your education can also be in another field. It could, you could invest in becoming a dentist or a doctor or a lawyer, and yeah, you'll pay off those student loans over time. But by the time you're 35, you might be bringing in a quarter of a million dollars. And that disposable cash is what's going to allow you to invest. And we're going to talk about that disposable income in just a second, but Investing in yourself is perhaps the biggest thing. I'm investing in educating myself by reading The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. And it's a revised edition, right? So it's relevant to today. And I won't stop here. I have two other investment books here. I have Investments for Dummies. It's an all-in-one book. And then I have another investment book, which I definitely do not see here, but I probably have it in my bag somewhere. But I also have, no, I see it right here. It's a random walk down Wall Street. And I also have the Wall Street Journal's complete real estate investing guidebook. You know, so there's a lot of ways you can educate yourself about investing or ways to make enough income so you can invest to even begin with. You know, or you might invest in another skill set that you have, but invest in educating yourself on something so it can yield you either knowledge or investment or the disposable income to be able to invest. So there you have it. Where do, where do you invest or other individuals who invest? Where do they invest it? Established companies or private um, businesses, non-established companies, not on startup, uh, not on the stock market, such as New York Stock Exchange, such as startup companies, 
non-domestic companies, foreign investments, real estate, REITs, which is a part of real estate, and their education. All right. Now, finally, we get to the final uh, step that I want to get to, um, which is how. How do they invest, those who choose to invest? Step one, you have disposable income, like I just mentioned. Guys, you have to have cash available to be able to invest in the first place. And having disposable income can come as a gift from family if you're fortunate and blessed with a silver spoon in your mouth. Or just parents who have disposable cash on the side for you. Or you may have money loaned or borrowed, which I don't necessarily recommend. You probably just want to have cash that you've earned. And so most disposable income for most individuals comes through the form of income through their employment. All right. If you own a business, you have more probably disposable cash to do so. Assuming the business is successful and has been successful for several years. But a lot of times people get it through their job. So, guys, you have to work. And I know it's tough for individuals who are going to college. You're working and going to school probably. And you do have your all your money is going towards paying for books and things of that nature. And that's OK. If you're missing on investment today, yes, you're missing now. But like if you're very aware of the importance of it. You're going to understand that once you do have the cash available, you'll throw a lot more money into investing. All right. So I, w- I don't want you to rush and feel like, oh, my goodness, I'm missing out on every single thing because I'm not investing right now. No, don't get yourself into debt to try to just, you know, take out a loan to invest. It doesn't, it's contradictory because investments don't always go up. Sometimes they go down and then you're still going to owe that loan. You might as well clear as much debt as possible. I don't want you to focus on debt so much to the point you don't invest whatsoever. But you want to be diligent in paying down debt, so you have disposable cash and savings to throw an investment, all right? And before you're able to invest, have an emergency fund for yourself, all right? Everybody has different thresholds. The more liabilities you have, such as the more debt or the more like independence you have, it's, it might be a little bit more tough. But the point is, disposable income is the first step to be able to invest. Have that $200 available is how you can invest. If you're broke, then... It, it's not going to be a, a, really an option for you. If you have less money, it can be. You might have to invest in smaller increments, but having disposable income is the first step. The next step, or next option rather, uh, is through a 401k or 403bs where you invest or some other form of employee-sponsored retirement plan. That's where most people start investing for the first place. You know, They become very responsible and these days individuals are not necessarily doing that you know before there were pensions offered and you had no option a portion of your paycheck went towards your pension but right now they got rid of pensions for most organizations these days there's only a lucky few that still have it and so you have to choose yourself to enroll in a 401k plan and that takes a lot of self-discipline or 403b plan which is offered through nonprofit organizations um, or you might have to invest through an IRA or Roth IRA or some other form of government regulated retirement plan. But like I said, they put the burden of responsibility on their individual to learn to invest. And that became tough, but also because it's a lot of education we have to do on our own. But at the same time, it's a great opportunity for you to learn to be educated on these options. And it teaches you great discipline. So it's forcing you to learn by putting that burden on you. I just want to make sure you're aware that this is where people can first encounter investing and where it incentivizes you to invest. If you invest in a 401k or 403b, most likely they match you, usually like 3% to about 6%, as you hear at most. Um, and I think that you should take advantage of that. That means you're getting free money. So for up to the first 6% of your salary, so if you invest, let's say, $250 every paycheck, you know, and you get paid like, you know, bi-weekly, so 26 weeks in a year, guys, 
You know, you have to think about that. That's being matched. That's going to be $500 for 26 weeks, right? You know, so keep that in mind. If it's free money, why not? And after that, you can invest to a brokerage firm, which I'll talk about in a second. But take advantage of the match that your employer gives you, you know, to invest. And even if you don't, I would suggest you do it as a way of habit and to learn to invest in the first place to let you know what it is to put money to the side. All right. And this also incentivizes uh, you are incentivized to do so through tax structuring. Right. It's pre-tax a lot of times with the 401k. And so or even if it's post-tax, you still can have that as a write off a little bit later when it comes to tax time. But if it's pre-tax, you're not going to it's going to lower your tax liability. So it's a double benefit there. You have to pay taxes on it later on. But your tax liability later on may be lower than what it is today while you're making money. Next thing um, where people how people invest is to a brokerage firm. Right. So you do your research and you don't have to go in person, but you can if you want to speak with a representative. But people go to like a Charles Schwab, Fidelity, Vanguard, or TD Ameritrade. And I'm naming these, these uh, companies because they're reputable. All right. Robinhood, you know, is becoming reputable because what, you know, they want everyone to give access to it. But sometimes they don't have like REITs and other things um, or the types of REITs and other um, investments available that um, some of these more established brokerage firms do. So look into like the T. Rowe Price, Charles Schwab, Fidelity, Vanguard, or TD Ameritrade's of the world, right? And you know, can look up their reputation and you can open up an account online and you can do your research in the meantime, or you might want to speak with a representative who can invest on your behalf, right? And you get to research the fees, see if it's reasonable, right? But the fact of the matter is a lot of people invest their funds in there. So they invest their funds in a 401k first up until the point they get the match, for example. And then they say, okay, now the rest of my money that I get, I'm going to invest on my own through my brokerage firm. Why? Because your 401k, you're limited by regulation. You can't touch that until retirement or like the Roth IRA, 55 and a half or 56 or so. So you guys have limitations as to when you can take it, right? As opposed to the brokerage firm, you can take it whenever you choose to. Just understand the tax consequences that are associated with it. But if you keep it over a year, it's usually less tax liability than what your job is. All right. Um, so just keep that in mind. And if you want, and it's also viewed as a form of liquid cash as opposed to retirement. You know, um, like if you want to buy a house, you can pull, you, you can pull for your 401k to buy a home or 403b. But um, if you have a brokerage account, that's even more liquid than that. You know, because when it comes to 401k, they're only going to take a portion of it, about 50, 60%. I know that's a mortgage loan officer, so you might be better off putting a lot more of that money in a brokerage firm. All right. And then finally, there's other alternatives. People may go through their personal bank, like M&T Bank, PNC, JP Morgan Chase Securities, or through a more exclusive wealth management bank like Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley. But, you know, they they have representatives who do it on their behalf. But the whole point of it is that there's a convenience of my, my funds are here, my savings account, things of that checking account. But also... I want to have my investments through this company too. And that's what the base can offer you as well. So that's, guys, that's how you invest. Have the disposable cash, put it through your 401k or 403b or retirement plan or through your IRA or Roth IRA. Um, and, or you could go through a brokerage firm or you might go through your bank. But the whole point is having disposable cash first and then going through one of those step two routes. All right. So there we have it, guys. That's the what of that's the what of investing, the why of investing, the who of investing, the where do they invest of investing, and how they do the investing of investing. All right. 
And so there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the basics around the who, what, when, where, why, and how of investing. I want you all to consider what you just listened to. Essentially, a public service announcement on why investing is necessary for anyone who wants to be financially secure and to live a life with some protection as they get older in age and head towards retirement. Remember that investing is more than just the money you put into your brokerage account, retirement plan, property, or a company. It can also be an investment in yourself so that you can have the disposable income to take these initiatives. By investing in things such as your education, mental health, physical health, and holistic peace of mind, you will create space to study investing so you have the aptitude to know what you are doing, but also so that you may have a skill that can yield you an income that will enable you to invest in general or invest a significant amount of funds. Until you can invest, my suggestion is do your due diligence and soak in as much information so that even if you are not investing money, you are investing time into understanding the subject better. And also remember that this is not just about you. This is also about your legacy, those you love and care about, people you want to leave money to, people you want to make sure know the habits and the value of investing as well. If you are truly to stay strong in America or anywhere else for that matter, remember that your financial strength is a key component to be able to do that. That said, I would like to thank you all for listening to me and please continue to stay strong in America.